You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning, people of God. Are we ready for a word from God? Well, let's stand for a reading from the Word of God. And we're going to need to be ready for this text. (laughs) This is from the Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of the kings Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, Listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from His holy temple. For lo, the Lord is coming out of His place and will come down and will tread upon the high places of the earth. Then the mountains will melt under Him and the valleys will burst open like wax near the fire. The waters poured down a steep place All of this for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel. And what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for the planting of vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her images shall be beaten into pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay waste. For as the wages of a prostitute she gathered them, and as the wages of a prostitute they shall be used again. For this I will lament and wail. I will go barefoot and naked, I will make lamentation like the jackals, like the mourning of the ostriches, for her wound is incurable. It's come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. The word of the Lord from the prophet Micah. Let the church say, Amen. Have a seat. You know, it kind of takes an act of faith to say Amen to a passage like that. Oh my, what has gotten into Brady's head? Well, let's not go there just yet. Oh, it's a scary place to go into Brady's head. Well, one of the ways that we get ourselves through our days and have for a long time is through memes. You know what a meme is? Well, this started out as something different than what it's become, but we've talked a lot about purposes, and a meme is usually a picture now attached to a statement that someone might throw up and, and share and, and try to put something humorous that kind of wedges in our mind. Well, since we've been talking about purposes, I wanted to start off with one today. So here's a meme. Maybe you've seen this older one. So it says, I have no idea what our mission statement is. At this point, I'm too afraid to ask. So there's a sample of whenever you hear someone talk about a meme, what one looks like. And the the younger that you are, the more familiar with you are. In fact, there may be memes being made at this very moment, right? It just happens. 
trying to poke fun at, trying to get a spin on something. Well, did you know that memes are, are not especially new? In fact, Richard Dawkins, the Oxford uh, uh, scholar, wrote a book in 1976 called The Social Gene, where he brings up this word that he makes up, meme, M-I-M-E-M-E, and he shortened it to meme. And it's this cultural unit that he, ha that he had in mind that's almost like a gene. It gets wedged or lodged in your mind, and it transforms you in some way. It changes you. And sometimes he thinks that these are good, sometimes they're bad. He thinks of them as fairly neutral, but they're replicators of an axiom or a phrase or something that could even be a tune that gets lodged in your mind. Now today, we kind of see them more digitally with pictures and with words. Well, it makes us think sometimes maybe about what other memes are at play in our word, in our minds. And it could be, since we're talking in a church to a group of Christians, that you might have a favorite Scripture meme. A phrase of Scripture, maybe a lot of them that stick in your mind that comes to your attention on a regular basis. Scripture has a way of doing this. In fact, I'll give you an example of one. From our friend Micah, that we're going to spend some time gritting our teeth and listening to, one of the famous passages that he's attributed to is chapter 6, verse 8, about what God requires. It's often pointed to by people of all faiths as a summary of what true religion looks like, of doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. Does that sound familiar? These are words, folks, that a president used in his inauguration. Jimmy Carter used these words in his speech to begin his presidency. These are words that 130 years ago in the Boston Public Library in 1890, uh, a gentleman did a, a mural, a painting, on all four sides at the top of the Boston Public Library, and the prophets are portrayed. In fact, if you're to go to the Library of Congress today and go to the main reading room, you can look up. I've seen it. I saw it a couple of years ago. Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? These are words that get lodged in our minds. And in the case of Micah, these are words that have been echoing for 3,000 years. And it's not just words. If you were to walk the grounds of the United Nations, located just near New York City, you would see artwork outside that portrays peace. Things like a, a, picture, a large sculpture of a gun with a knot tied in it, trying to show, hey, we're, we're aiming for and shooting for a world where peace reigns. But you'll never believe this kind of un, 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 you know, contemporary kind of sculpture that's let us beat our plows into plowshares. A sculpture there on the United Nations from Micah also quoted in Isaiah and several other of the prophets. So you get the sense that these memes are not something new. They're not just a picture that gets passed around via text message. They're not just something even that Richard Dawkins can give maybe a title to. These words describe something that has been true in human history for a very 
long time. Micah had a way of doing this. Of saying words that echo across the plains and the canyons, the oceans and the deserts, reaching their way all the way to us. Famous words. Words that shape us today. But today I want to tell you just the story. The story of Micah. Once upon a time there was a a country preacher. He was from the town of Morasheth, which is about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And Micah came to the scene in a time when his country was divided, separated. In fact, the tribes had become two separate countries. There was the northern tribe with a capital city of Samaria, the Israel tribe. And then there were the southern tribe of Judah with the capital of Jerusalem. And so Micah prophesies during a time when the kingdoms are divided, but he's down in that southern kingdom. It's a time when they're divided, but they're at least intact. They're independent. And things are going really well. Well, did you catch the very first verse of Micah? It's worth hearing again. The word of the Lord of Yahweh that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of King Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah of Judah concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, these are words that mean something. When they hear it, it doesn't mean so much to us, but when they hear it, it's kind of like hearing in the days of Washington and Adams and Jefferson. It's like one day when people look back and they say in the days of Bush, and Obama, and Trump, they hear it and instantly they begin to think about where they stand, where they're positioned, located next to Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, right? So these mean things to them. Well, Jotham, the very first of these Judean kings, all three of them are southern kings. He ruled during a time of great prosperity, and this is when the country preacher Micah hits the scene. Everything's going well. Jotham inherits the throne of his, from his father, Uzziah. It's kind of an unfortunate thing. His dad contracted leprosy. He was unable to serve because he was ritually unclean. And so Jotham takes over in a time of tremendous prosperity. And he adds to that prosperity. He builds up the army. He strengthens the forces and the fortress around Jerusalem. He uh, establishes a seaport uh, just to the, to the uh, west to give them a, a, a foothold in the sea. He establishes all of these fortresses and forts in wooded areas all through Judea. He is building them up in this time of prosperity, and everyone is doing well. They're happy. Things are going good. And he's a good man. He even builds the northern gate of the Jerusalem temple that's talked about in other places. A place that people would come to the temple of God. Things are going well. And so Micah walks into the scene during Jotham's reign and says part of what we just read today. A very uncomfortable message. 
to this group of people that's doing just fine. He's given this word. And I don't know that I would really want to be in Micah's shoes. It might be exciting to be given a word from God, but this is not the kind of best-selling author word that you want to be given from God. This is the kind of you know, word that gets you burned at the stake. You don't want to hear. I mean, this is just a little preacher tip. People don't like to be told they're doing things wrong. People don't like negative messages. Just a little tip in case you go into preaching. They don't like that. And here comes Micah, probably not wanting to give this word at all, but he does it. This message that comes to him. Have you ever had something come to you? Sounds like a text message or an email, but John's nodding. Maybe it's like, oh, it dawns on you. Yes, I do need to get a job. Yes, I do need to move out of this place that I'm living. Even though it is with my parents, I'm going to move out, right? I'm going to get things started. Something comes to you. It even says in this verse that it happens to him. I think this country preacher is pretty gifted because his word is not prose and it's not really a story, it's poetry. And I have to wonder if maybe it didn't happen. If it wasn't some kind of a play that was performed. And he says it's a word that he saw. All of these things coming together. And here's what happens. Have you ever kind of wanted people to get their due? To get what's coming to them? To maybe see how everyone else sees them? I've got another meme for us to look at. This is uh, taking Morpheus from The Matrix, but look at, look at what he says. What if I told you you're not stuck in traffic? You are traffic. Have you ever just wanted people to get their due to realize, hey, you're an obstacle for everyone else and you're just excited for them to get their due? Well, here's what Micah says. He calls the whole world to the courtroom and says it's time. It's time for a trial. And you can just see God's people getting their hands together and saying, oh boy, thank goodness. And they seat themselves where you're seated in the audience and they're ready for the message. Well, they're, they think that they're the character of the audience. And they get to hear from Micah, who is the, the uh, prosecuting attorney. He's the attorney for the plaintiff. And he says that his first witness is the plaintiff, and it's Yahweh. Oh, goody! God is coming! God is showing up. This should be good news. And all the nations are there, and they're looking probably across the aisle saying, oh, I just can't wait for them to get their due. And then Micah begins to talk and he turns the rain and the microphone over to God. And God says things like, I'm going to flatten Samaria. I'm going to turn into a rubble heap. Okay? Hmm. Now, we look at this and we start to think, what's going on here with this flattening of Samaria, the shaking of her foundation? Well, it's because of Jacob's sin, the sin of the north. It's because of the sin of the south. That's why God is coming to do this. But then it takes a twist. In this little trial, 
And they realize they're not sitting in the audience. They're the, actually the one that's the defendant. God has come as the plaintiff against them. And this country preacher begins to describe something that is unimaginable to them. I don't think I'll even go into all of it. I didn't read this section of chapter 1. But he begins to do these word plays, these memes, these turning of a phrases. And he talks about cities. So, Gath, don't tell Gath. Well, Gath means tell. Or Bethlehroth, which means dust. He says, roll around in the dust. Za'an, which means go out to battle. He tells Za'an, don't go out to battle. On and on it goes. Lachish, which means fortified chariot horses. And God says, keep them tied up. Don't send them out. This is tough. Even Morasheth. Even Micah's hometown, which means betrothed, or dowry, or gift. Do you know what he uses? Do you know what Micah says about his hometown? Well, get a parting gift ready for your conquerors, the ones that are coming for you. Now, this is intense. And it almost sounds like, like Micah's taken the high school mascots of all of these towns and making fun of them. But he's also making fun of his own town. And you kind of pay attention here and you begin to realize that this message that he's given is a powerful one. He even brings up Adullam. Adullam has nothing to do with probably this region, but with David, King David, when he is the next anointed king of Israel, is running from the current king of Israel. He hides in the cave of Adullam. And Micah, in a, just a sucker gut punch that we can't hear, says, you don't even have a cave of Adullam to hide in. Wow. Do you feel your hair burned off? Do you feel your face stinging from slaps from what he is saying? They don't get it. They don't understand because they look around and the forts are there. The seaport is there. The money is in the bank. Things are okay. Now, you have to watch out for, for preachers. You really do. You have to watch out for any people that bring words of destruction. Pay attention. See how much they enjoy what they're saying. If they enjoy tearing down the person, if they enjoy bringing them to rubble, you might watch them a little closer. It may, they, they may still be right. But watch him closer. Micah doesn't enjoy this at all. He's not just picking on his big brother to the north. He's picking on his own country as well. And in verses 7, 8, and 9, we see him wailing. Him crying. It says that he's barefoot and naked. I don't know why you bring up barefoot at that point. If you're naked, we're pretty much going to assume that your feet are naked too. This is a very uncomfortable, screeching message that he gives. Well, I promised you a how-to guide. A how-to guide for losing your purpose. And you're brave enough to show up for something crazy like that. How is it that we come to lose our purpose? And we begin to see that in verses 7 and 8, where the promised destruction comes like the wages to a prostitute. Well, that's quite a 
an image, a metaphor, where unjust money is going to be just money that's used again. And it's money that's going to be taken away. God is saying, because you've been unfaithful, you've received these wages, other unfaithful armies are going to come into your sacred temples and take your sacred goals and what you think is untouchable and haul it away. You know, we have to think about our own personal practice of evil. We have to think about when we make choices, we're much like a prostitute. When we make choices, we're coming to terms with the way that we're making a living and how we're going about our lives. And when we choose to practice evil, we are adding to the bank account of evil. We're adding to the income level of evil. We're increasing the stock of evil in the world. And Micah is sad. If you want to know where we need to be, we need to be right with Micah and sad because he cares about these people. It hasn't happened yet and he wants them to know. Okay, so the first key. The first key of how to lose your purpose is to believe that life doesn't matter. That there really aren't any consequences for the way you conduct your life. Because, eh, everyone else is just as bad or worse. Let's look at that a little deeper, that life doesn't matter. Because if I believe that life doesn't matter, then I'll begin not to care anymore. I won't care about much of anything. In fact, if it doesn't matter, we could almost fill in the blank. Yeah, it's your life. Could be that it's work. Could be that it's trying in school. Why bother? It doesn't matter. Those teachers are virtual. They're not watching me. And so we just begin to act and live as if it does not matter at all. When folks, it does matter. Even if we look at our own uh, our government or our media and we think, oh, it doesn't matter, it does. We can still be people that are seeking the truth and seeking to stand by the truth. That's good. So there, there are three problems that if we just live by, it doesn't, life doesn't really matter. And one of those is, if we just say that it, it just is the way it is, then our actions will begin to be indifferent. We won't care. We'll just kind of fumble our way through life, thinking everyone else is just as bad and probably worse, right? We're going to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Another thing that we might tend to do is to discredit our sources. This is going to happen with Micah. You look at those prophets that are speaking negative things, and you look around and you're like, still going okay for me. Things are still all right for me. And so you discredit those verses that are negative. You lump them together into groups. Maybe you've seen this now. Have you noticed how people are lumping groups of people into one uniform blob and then positioning themselves against it? Have you noticed this? The media, all of the media are all bad. Or all black people. Or all scientists, right? We do this unthinkingly where we lump everyone together in one big basket and we say, they're all bad. All police are bad. 
no, it's not good to just lump people into these big baskets. We want to find ourselves listening to those voices that might even be different from our own. We don't have to discredit them. We could listen and compare. Probably the most insidious problem, not just thinking, well, it's just the way it is, not just trying to discredit those sources, but probably the most insidious problem of all is when we think that God is on our side. Not on other people's side, but on our side. That we're untouchable because we stand on the Bible. Or that we have morality. Or that we're a good person. We've got good intentions. Make a few mistakes, but we're good people. And whenever we do this, when we assume God is on our side, and then we knowingly and intentionally pursue evil and practice evil, using faith as a cover for evil, that's probably the most insidious one of all. And we're all guilty for it. There are times when we want God to show up. We probably should be careful about that. Yes, we want God to show up. But when God shows up, it's difficult. In this trial, he shows up as a counter witness. And the mountains melt. And the high places that Jotham didn't take down, God takes down. Purposeless people will use God and use religion to justify truckloads of evil. And it's just not right. As people of faith, we don't have to hide behind those things. We can live in the light. We can acknowledge our mistakes. We can acknowledge how we've fallen short. Because life does matter. God hasn't called us into perfection. It's easy for us to kind of miss the fact, to miss the messages that Micah is sharing. And we're going to have to pay really close attention. In fact, I've got another meme for us of how it's easy to miss the message. See, I'm not going to read this one. I'm going to let you see it first. See if you can spot it. So it depends on how you read it. Okay, so now I'll describe it. So one sign, they're very close together. They almost look like one sign, but they're two. And the one side on the left says, you matter. And the one on the right says, don't give up. But since they're positioned so close together, you could read it as, you don't matter, give up. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, your life matters. It matters in the sight of God. It matters in the history of the world. It matters in your family and in your community. It matters who you are. And I hope that you will understand that even in times when God comes to us like He did in Micah's time, and maybe like He's doing today, coming in judgment, that there's much that we can learn. And that when a voice is unfavorable to us, it doesn't have to be bad. When a voice confronts us, it doesn't have to be from evil. Sometimes that witness and sometimes that confrontation is from God Himself. So listen to counterviews. Learn from our mistakes 
and begin to leave, live a life and lead your life as if it does matter. Now, if you really want to follow the other part of this message of losing your purpose, then believe that life doesn't matter. I'm hoping that you're seeing that's not what we want today. Your life matters. Let's pray. God, our, our ears are ringing. Ringing over words on a page from 3,000 years ago that still can shape us and form us today. We pray that we'll hear that will not let confusion or crazy names or the distance of history keep us from learning from the mistakes of others and the successes of others. Would you help us to be people who live like life matters? Because we're following you. We are in line behind Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we gather around your table to seek you and to serve you. And we know that table launches us out into a world where we can be a voice of a better way, a voice of goodness and righteousness. It's through Jesus that we live and pray. Amen.